Well, good morning, New Vintage Church, and good morning to all of you who are here live and also those of you joining us online. Uh, we're going to be in Isaiah chapter 46 today. So uh, if you've got a Bible or you're using the Bible app, go ahead and get it open. Uh, and I, we're in a series called The Promises of God. We know that this is likely to be a strange week here in the United States. Uh, and so I want to talk today about a particular promise of God. Uh, and it goes something like this. No one compares to God. He's always been king. He always will be king. All right? Now, you may have not heard. There is an election this year. And uh, if you haven't, I want to just preface everything I'm going to say today because I know uh, some people are coming in kind of charged up to church and maybe want me to tell you how you're supposed to vote or something like that. None of that's going to happen. Um, I'm not a political consultant. I'm a pastor. Uh, and so what I try to do is I try to take people and aim them toward Jesus Christ. And if they're aimed toward Jesus Christ, then in theory, if they're getting it, then what they're going to do is they're going to carry their values with them into the voting booth, just like they carry them to work with them, to the house with them, and all those different things. And you're going to go do what God wants you to do. Uh, and when we get into this point where we put an undue influence or we put the emphasis on the wrong syllable, as they say, uh, where the whole thing is all about the vote, and it's, then it stops being about what it's supposed to be about, which is this is an opportunity for us to make a difference in the world in which we're in for Christ. And so when I go in, I'm going to vote in a way that I believe is consistent with my faith, understand my faith, and whatever I do here in the flatlands, here horizontally, uh, needs to be shaped by who I believe Jesus is, what I'm called to do. Uh, so I'm not against those of you who are going to maybe, maybe feel like, oh, you know, he's not... You know, he's against politics. I'm not. I'm actually an elected official. You may not know that, but I'm actually on a school board. I'm actually running for election in two days. Uh, you may not know that either, but I'm running unopposed. So if you want to vote me out, sorry, you're stuck with me for four more years. Um, uh, so as long as I can beat the invisible man, I'm in good shape. Uh, the good news about that is it gives you the, the ability to, uh, to speak freely, which I've been known to do, to do anyways. So uh, we're going to be in Isaiah 46. Uh, and that, li th that little uh, paragraph there, okay, no one compares to God, he'll always be king, he's always been king, he'll always be king, okay, that right there is going to give you, I would submit to you, great comfort, okay, going through uh, things like we're going through right now. I want to take you back uh, to Israel, into the book of Isaiah. Isaiah is a quirky little book. Let me give you a, a, a cliff's note uh, in 30 to 45 seconds, okay? Isaiah is a prophet. He's actually from the royal family, biologically. Uh, and he, the prophets are not fortune tellers. They're the thus saith the Lord guys. They're the ones who speak truth to anybody that needs to hear it. They specialize in speaking to kings, particularly, and if not, then to the people. They tend to carry unpopular messages, uh, like repent, like you're going to be taken into exile, like you're wicked, Mr. King, knock it off. Those kind of messages. Isaiah, born into that family, there's a three, picture it like a Lord of the Rings trilogy. There's three parts. The first part is Isaiah's calling. And he go, he, he's, he's called by God to, to ministry and to tell the truth uh, to those in power and to the people. And in that, God shows up. He gets this vision of God. In the year the king Uzziah died, I saw the Lord seated on a throne high and lifted up. And the train of his robe filled the temple with glory. And so he goes in, he talks about these angelic beings all around him, um, saying things, and, and he, all he knows how to do is to fall on his face and say, 
Uh, whoa, whoa am I. I mean, I'm a man of unclean lips. And then there's this dramatic scene where his mouth is touched and, and, and his lips are, are healed. And it's very dramatic. And he's called then to go to the people and basically say, hey guys, look, you've been acting wickedly. Therefore, God is going to deliver you into exile. Super popular message. Part two, they are in exile. Uh, he, fa- he fast forwards in his vision. He says 200 years from now, they're in Babylonian captivity, and that's where our text from today comes from, in the middle of the story, where they are already taken over by people in power. And what the, t- what the problem is at this point, before they were getting pulled away into idolatry and wickedness just because they were good old worldly people, now it's really become an issue where they're starting to worship the gods of Babylon because they're front runners. They're people who like to be on the winning team. We all do, right? We all kind of, we, 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 if we see somebody like over there and we're taking an unpopular position, their side seems to be winning, we tend, there's a gravitational pull that begins to kind of pull us that way. And so the Israelites have, have been on that little journey there, all right? Now part three is all about the future and all about the, the glorious future that God has for his people. But our text comes from part two, the middle, where they're actually in exile and God is trying to save Babylon, the people that you guys really admire. They're going down soon. And so it would behoove you to get back on board the God train, not their God's train, your original God, the only God that really exists. He tends to look at things, I mean, last night was Halloween, and the whole thing with Halloween is I get to dress up like somebody scarier than I am. That's kind of the genesis of it. It was the Celts and others came up with this festival that was supposed to scare off the bad spirits. So I just dress up like something terrifying. And, and then, you know, I guess the, if there is an evil spirit, it comes at me and it says, oh no, that's Tim in a bed sheet. I'm going to run away. And that was the way that it was built. So now we just kind of dress up like any character we want. And we go... Uh, walk around in public dressed like those people and we knock on strangers doors and we eat candy that we don't know where it came from that's the way we do it now but back then it was I'm going to dress scarier than I am uh, to make you think that you can't handle me uh, to ward off the evil spirits okay last night I see a guy he's wearing a Pennywise costume the clown from it, and I'm telling you, dude, it was, it was amazing. I don't know what, where the guy found the costume. I don't know how long it took him to make or do the makeup on that. But anybody who is afraid of clowns is still awake. They have not been asleep yet, okay? I'm not afraid of clowns, but I was walking down the street, and I was like, holy cow. The guy's probably like a preschool teacher. I mean, he's a nice guy. He probably like, you know, little league coach and everything like that. But not on Halloween. On Halloween, you dress up, and you want to scare people. You want to be ugly and scary because that's what it's about. And what God's going to say to them is, hey, all these big bad Babylonians, they're just in Halloween costumes. They're not nearly as scary as you think they are. And the reason is they follow gods that don't exist. Whereas you follow a God who actually exists, and not only that, but he has control of everything that's going on. And that governments, the Babylonians, are only in power because I willed that they be in power. And I now am about to will that they not be, and they will not be. Watch, because I'm the one that picks kings and brings them down. I've always been the real king. Right now, in the past, in the future. Now you got people that are going to say they're dressing up like king. But they're not king. I'm king. Now that's oddly comforting right now. So we're going to read the whole chapter of Isaiah 
46, which is a whopping 13 verses. But we're going to break it into three bite-sized chunks because uh, when we read 13 verses in church these days, uh, it feels like we all read War and Peace together. So we're going to go with, uh, the, we're going to start basic, first seven verses, and then uh, we'll take it from there. So here we go. Isaiah 46 on the screens. Bel and Nebo, now let me pause there. Bel, that's short for Baal, okay? Bel, Nebo. So like in the book of Daniel, you'll notice the king's names. Uh, you've got, uh, you got Belshazzar, named after Bel. You've got Nebuchadnezzar, okay? You've got uh, king. Th- these are the gods you name your kids after. These are the big guys, okay? Baal's kind of the big overarching god of the Canaanites and the Babylonians and all sorts. They all got their own version of Baal. This is the Phoenician version, all right? Okay, nerd section done. Nebo, okay, another one, another big one though. Okay, the gods of Babylon. He says, Bel and Nebo, the gods of Babylon, bow as they're lowered to the ground. They're being hauled away on ox carts. So this is a vision of the future. The poor beasts stagger under their weight. Both the idols and their owners are bowed down. The gods cannot protect people. And the people cannot protect the gods. They go off into captivity together. Listen to me, descendants of Jacob, all you who remain in Israel. I have cared for you since you were born. Yes, I carried you before you were born. Let that sink in. I carried you before you were born. And I will be your God throughout your lifetime until your hair is white with age. I made you and I will care for you. I will carry you along and save you. To whom... Will you compare me? You want to underline something, do that one. To whom will you compare me? Who is my equal? Some people pour out their silver and gold and hire craftsmen to make a god from it. Then they bow down and worship it. They carry it around on their shoulders. And when they set it down, it stays there. It can't even move. And when someone prays to it, there is no answer. It can't rescue anyone from trouble. So we're going to start. and We're just going to take these three little statements. There's... Now, we'll go through those, and then the sermon is yours. No one compares to God. Very simple at the beginning. He just says, to who are you going to compare me? Who, who exactly? Oh, Bell and Nebo? Yeah. Well, let's compare them, shall we? He says, you have to carry them around. I carry you around. He says, you got to care. What kind of God needs to be carried by the people that are worshiping him? They have to be carried around. I'm carrying you. He says, they weigh a lot. I carry your weight. They can't even move. Okay, so, I mean, I could put a cardboard cutout right here. It'd be just as effective. Right? It can't move. You can say, hey, come here. Come on, Bell. Come on, Bell. Who's a good boy, Bell? Come on. And he ain't going anywhere. He can't move. And he says, I'm always moving. Those gods can't answer your prayers. I always answer your prayers. When you're in trouble, they can't rescue you. I always rescue you when you cry out to me. And then he stops and he goes, so remind me again, who is my equal? Who's my equal? That's a rhetorical question, by the way. He's so confident, in fact, that he loves being compared to other gods. God does not have a confidence problem. And he is undefeated. And that's good news for those of us who fall on, on His grace and who depend on Him and His power for how we live. I mean, there is something oddly comforting about feeling like 
the person that you're with is the biggest guy in the room when you're in a dangerous neighborhood like we call earth feeling like it's going to be okay i know because i know i got god on my side and god could do anything he can beat anybody anything he does when i cry out to him he listens if i ask him to move he moves and he does it all with the right motives he does it all in the right time he does it all without failing god doesn't go one for three in a game he goes three for three with three grand slams Every game he plays, he never, never loses. Never loses. And that's why he says, that's fine. Go ahead. Compare him to me. Have a ball. We'll start with this. Why don't you just ask him for something? I'm sorry. What did you say? Oh, nothing. Okay. Um, they don't even say anything. Well, why don't you come on over here? Well, they can't move either. Remember that prayer they answered for you? No, you don't, because it never happened. You see what he's doing? Now, we're going to go on to, from his kind of jousting here to this, 46, 8, and 9. He says, do not forget this. Keep it in mind. Remember this, you guilty ones. Remember the things I have done in the past. Remember the things I've done in the past. Remember the things I've done in the past. For I alone am God. I am God. There is none like me so no one compares to him okay and he's always been king past tense he's always there was not a moment in human history where god ceased to be ultimate king of the universe he likes comparing himself one of my favorites happens in first kings chapter 18 verse 20 and following we know the story as elijah and the prophets of baal if you're not familiar with the story, let me tell it to you really quickly. Elijah, a prophet, he's uh, there. He feels very lonely. In fact, at one point he says, I'm the only one left. God says, don't flatter yourself. I've actually got quite a few out there that are mine. Uh, they're, they're, but Elijah is full of swagger and boldness. And he loves to talk to King Ahab and to Jezebel and tell them, what God wants them to know about their wickedness, about turning away and turning the people away from God. One day, there's a showdown on Mount Carmel. Here's the contest. You got one Elijah, you got 450 prophets of Baal. We know him as Bel in this text, okay? Our text today. 450 on one. 450 on one. The contest goes like this. Let's build an altar. Let's build a sacrifice, shall we? You build it up, we'll, we'll, we'll get an animal and we'll chop it up and we'll put it on the altar there. Uh, and then we'll each call down fire from heaven and we'll see who roasts the animal. All right? Sound good? So we're going to build this altar. Uh, and the, so tell you what, since there's 450 of you and only one of me, why don't you all go first? So they said, okay, sweet. So all 450 of them, they go, they just start crying out to Baal, loud, shrieking, Baal, 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 do this, do this, do this, do this. Well, by noon, they're still crying out. Nothing has happened. So Elijah starts running smack. He starts making fun of them. He goes, you know what? I'll tell you what. Maybe he can't hear you. Maybe you need to be louder. Because perhaps he's asleep. Maybe you could wake him up if you're a little louder. And then he goes, he goes here. He goes, maybe he's relieving himself. Uh, maybe wait until he's out of the little God's room and, and, and maybe he'll hear you then. And then he goes, you know what, maybe, I got it. I bet he's on vacation. He's at the winter home. 
Otherwise, he can't, he can't hear you. Actually, there's winter right there, right? But you sit there and you go, man, what a, what a thing to just sit there and talk trash. And he goes, he goes uh, maybe he's daydreaming. Maybe he's relieving himself. Maybe he's on vacation. Maybe he's asleep. You better get louder. So they do. And they start crying out. And they start slashing themselves, it says. Eesh. Still, nothing happens. Nothing happens. Can you believe it? Well, Elijah can. So Elijah says, all right, my turn then. Let's, let me give it a shot. He says, take some water then uh, and put, dig a trench around this and pour it full of water. And then uh, take water and douse the sacrifice with it to make it sure it's good and wet. So they do that. And then Elijah says, you know what? Just to be extra sure, let's do it again. More water at the base, pour some more on top. They do. He cries out to God and Fire from heaven. Everything gone. Underneath, the trench around, the sacrifice itself, the altar, everything. Hmm. I'm going to suggest to you that it is tempting to become, it's not because you try, but when you have 450 people and they're all saying the same thing, like the prophets of Baal, it's hard to be Elijah. Even, even when you're confident in God or when you think you're confident in God, if everybody's saying this, if everybody's saying that, hey, you need to be more this, and if you were only like this, and if you'll just change the way you think about this, if you'll just stop saying that, everything will be fine. It's hard to be Elijah and say, you know what? I'll tell you what, how about you put your gods here and I'll put mine here. And we'll see how it goes. It's easier to just simply say, eh, maybe they're right. So we'll let them go first. But in the back of our mind, we're actually going, what if they're right? What I want to be is the kind of person that, like Elijah, I know they're wrong. <laughs> I have enough faith to know that the God that I serve is still king. And it doesn't really matter. Nothing can change. It doesn't matter how big the side on the other side gets. It doesn't matter. If I can round up a thousand people to say I'm Joan of Arc, that doesn't make me Joan of Arc. Right? It's, it's not who's God and who's not is not a popularity contest. It's a might contest. And God, as He says, to who are you going to compare me exactly? I mean, maybe there's somebody out there that's destroyed the earth by flood, created the world as we know it, sent ten plagues on Pharaoh, who was the greatest ruler of them all, and that was just child's play. God's like, okay, maybe, you know. Part of the Red Sea, knocked down the walls of Jericho with a little horn blast, and 450 prophets of Baal, and all the things that you've watched him do in your life? Who are you going to compare him to? Ah, the politicians. Yeah. Great contest. <laughs> now, they do, they do talk, all right? But compared side by side with God, and again, remember, I'm an elected official. 
But let's be honest. That's a service position. What God's saying to them is, just because Babylon is in charge, doesn't mean that their gods are God. I'm still the king. I will always be the king. And so my job is to stay faithful to God. To who are you going to compare me? I've always been. Remember what I just did. And then he goes to the future. This is Isaiah 46, 10 to 13. He says, only I can tell you the future before it even happens. Everything I plan will come to pass. For I do whatever I wish. I will call a swift bird of prey from the east, a leader from a distant land to come and do my bidding. I've said what I would do, and I will do it. And this is us here, by the way. Listen to me, you stubborn people (laughs) who are so far from doing right. For I am ready to set things right, not in the distant future, but right now. I am ready to save Jerusalem and show my glory to Israel. He says, and I'm always going to be king. So when you look down the road, I'm the only one who determines the future. I'm the only one who can tell you about the future. And here's the future. Babylon's going down. Well, how's that going to happen? Well, because I'm just going to tell a king over there, come do it, and he'll do it. Because kings honor him. They do what he wants them to do. So just like Babylon, he brought Babylon in, he'll say in the book of Isaiah, I brought them in to take care of business because you guys had turned away, and so I gave you up to them. Now Babylon's turn is to go down, and so now I'm going to basically whistle that way, and here they come. Because I'm the king. And I know the future. And I hold the future. There's a kid game we play in swimming pools called Marco Polo. Now, I don't know where that game came from, so I had to look it up. Here's what they say about Marco Polo. In fact, raise your hand if you've ever played Marco Polo so I know who I'm talking to here. All right, I got some decent people in here. Good. All right, Marco Polo, Venetian explorer, explored Asia in the 1200s, all right? So how'd the game get there? Here's what Wikipedia says about the game and its origins. It says the game's name is associated with the meandering exploration of the play area by it, which is after a fashion like the famous explorer Marco Polo. The translation of that is Marco Polo didn't know what he was doing or where he was going. He was a meandering explorer. So when you see a kid with their eyes shut going, Marco, Polo, Marco, Polo, that's an imitation or a mockery of the way Marco Polo did exploration. Okay? Now, there's another part to that. Fish out of water. Oh, it's the great equalizer. Because if you're in a small pool, you've got to have some way to get away, right? So, when you say fish out of water, if somebody has gotten out of the pool to try and get away from you, and you say fish out of water, and that fish is out of the water, if you know what I'm saying, they're done. They're out. So, you have Marco Polo, and you have the fish out of water. All right? So, let me ask you to think on this for a second. I think there are people who see God as kind of a Marco Polo. He's here, and he's listening to a splash, and he's responding to it, but he has no real agenda or plan. He's just kind of flailing around in the water, calling out to us, 
But there's no real plan there, and he's kind of blind. He doesn't really see what's going on. He's kind of overmatched by us, really. He's at a huge disadvantage to us. He's just kind of out there doing this, right? Or we think he's the fish out of water. And he's outside the pool looking at us flail around and flop around and embarrass ourselves. Okay, what, what he's saying there in Isaiah 46 is he's not either one of those. He's not the fish out of water. He's not detached watching us. And nor is he in the water with his eyes shut, kind of flopping around, just listening around, reacting to everything we're doing. I can guarantee you this. I do think I can guarantee you this. One thing that is not going to happen on Tuesday night, God is going to be up there going, oh, what if Pennsylvania goes the other way? I just don't know what's going to happen. I'm just going to wait. And if I hear a splash over there, then I'm going to lunge for that. No, no, no. He says, look, I know the future. I know the future. And here's what it looks like. I'm the king. I'm the king. Hey, you know what? You remember the past? I was the king. You, you remember the beginning? Yeah, that was the, I, was, I was the king before you were even a spark in anybody's mind. And I'm going to be the king long after you're gone. So, then if we believe that and we actually believe what he's saying, then that changes the way that I go into that. Am I interested? Sure. Am I going to vote uh, with, uh, as a good citizen? Yes. Am I going to do it as a disciple of Jesus? Yes. Am I going to go in thinking that if something doesn't go my way that the world as I know it is actually over? I can't possibly do that and then believe in this God. That's not how it goes. So I take that from that point then and I realize that my role is to continue to walk in obedience. And if something is going off, then I can play the role of a prophet and call somebody out if I need to, if that's what God is calling me to do. But I do know this. I know he's not Marco Polo. I know that he's not the fish out of water. And I know that it doesn't matter how many people are saying that, oh, look at this. You must be foolish or you must be stupid or whatever. They're just bail prophets over there. They're, they're barking around doing whatever. But they got no fire. They got words. They make noise. But they got no fire. We got fire. We got fire. You understand what I'm saying? So when it comes down to what's going on in this world, go vote in a way that would please God. Handle yourselves in a way that will please God. And don't be afraid. Because no matter who's president, he's going to be a king. <laughs> so, listen, that gives me some comfort. Now, for those of you who are going, ah, that's fine, preacher, but blah, 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 you don't understand how this and how that or whatever. Okay, well, look, let me, let, me, let me just take you back to the greatest empire this world has ever known, Rome. Ever. Ask any historian you want. They'll all say Rome, ancient Rome, no question. Not to the Greeks, a little bit of Egypt here and there. Most people say Rome. He says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. That cross that you see on the screen is there in the Colosseum in Rome. I want to take you back 2,000 years. Let's pretend that we had a time machine and we all got in it today. That'd be one big elevator or whatever. We would get into the DeLorean or whatever, and, and we'd take off under the power of gigawatts and race down Grand Avenue, and then whoo, off we go. And we're back 2,000 years. It's a time when Christians are being thrown to the lions in the Colosseum. It's a time when uh, the Emperor Nero, for instance, would use Christians 
He'd set them on fire as human torches to light his parties. It doesn't feel like you're winning at that moment, right? Let's pretend that we go back 2,000 years and we're able to get together some Christians who are living in Rome at the time and say to them, hey guys, someday, check this out, someday there's going to be a cross right there where the emperor sits. They would go, what? No, 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 for real. And it's going to be a cross that represents not Christians in general being hung on them, but one particular guy, a Jewish carpenter by the name of Jesus. And he was only really in public for three years. He never went more than about 25 miles from his home. He was betrayed by his own people, and the Romans actually executed him. In fact, you know what? Someday there's not going to be any Roman Empire. And they would look at you and go, you're out of your mind, man. Have you not seen, look around you. Hail Caesar, right? Isn't that the whole, I mean, good grief, we got pizza places, Little Caesars. I mean, that's a good name for him at this point, isn't it? Where is he? There's not going to be a Rome anymore. And tell them someday people from all over the world are going to travel to Rome not to ask where the emperor lives, but where Paul preached. Huh? True. And someday the emperor of Rome is going to be a Christian. Right. No, for real. And someday people are going to visit this same Colosseum 2,000 years later, and there's going to be a cross right where the emperor sits right now. And someday, 2,000 years later, when little baby boys are born, they're going to name them Peter and John and Andrew. And people are going to name their dogs Caesar and Nero and Brutus. Okay? Believe it. And they would look at you like you were crazy. And here we are, 2,000 years later, and the win-loss column looks like eternity, one for God, none for Baal. So the question for the church is, are we going to believe Him? Are we going to believe Him? Because what He's saying, at that promise right there, that promise is something you can build a life on. No matter what goes on, no matter how bad your life gets, no matter how crazy the world becomes, He's still king. He'll always be king. He's always been king. He will always be king. So our job then is to listen to and obey the king. So sisters and brothers, we are part of something that is so much bigger than anything. Look, here's another thing I can guarantee you. He's still going to be king on Wednesday. All right? So no matter what goes on, on Wednesday, he's still going to be king. The question is, are we going to walk in obedience to the king, or are we going to sit there and listen to everybody over here on the other side? But look at how many people told me that the world is now over. They got noise. We got fire. They got noise. We got fire. All right? So I'm asking you to join me in joining them and joining all the Christians from all the ages to simply say, no, we're going to do what, what we believe God would want us to do. And we are going to do our civic duty. I'm going to vote in a way that I think is going to honor the true king. 
Like if he was sitting here in the booth looking over my shoulder, that he would be pleased with how I did it. And then, depending on how it goes, uh, or not, uh, I realize that there may be a new president or the same president, but on Wednesday, I'm going to have the same king. And so I'm going to live my life under his rule. And I'm going to say in everything that I do, the way I think, the way I act, the way I live, no one compares to him. He's always been king. He's always going to be king. And no matter what happens Tuesday, God's going to God. And so I'm going to be a disciple every day, no matter what happens. All right? So, amen, church. Right now, we're going to gather around the Lord's table, do this thing we call communion. Uh, You should have got a little bag on your way in. If you didn't, we have some ushers that, uh, if you'll put your hand in the air and leave it there, we'll bring you one. We do this every week at New Vintage. I see some, uh, especially in the middle. Um, And down front here. Um, Just keep it up. Don't be ashamed. Um, I want to let this verse, as we gather around the table, and if you're not familiar with it, um, we've got one here. That's my wife. Um, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Hebrews 13, 8. We, we tend to get really affectionate and be very excited about new things. And God's mercies are new every morning. Uh, he's got new ways of showing his mercy and his grace and his grandeur to people. But I want to give him some praise today for being the same also, not changing. The snotty theologian types call it the immutability of God. He doesn't change. So today we give him thanks because there are some things that never change. And one is, he's still the king. So we take the bread, which represents the body of Christ, the cup, which represents the blood of Jesus. And we go before the king today. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, now we give you thanks for Jesus. We give you thanks that nobody compares to you, Father. Not the greatest human being, the largest, most golden, hand-shaped foe God that we are able to create. You've always been king. You're always going to be king. And so no matter what happens, Father, we know and we rejoice in the fact that whatever happens on Tuesday, God's going to God. And we take great comfort from that, Father. And so for all you've done for us in the past and the present and what you're going to do in the future, we give you thanks in the name of Jesus.